This is Zen Mind, a podcast featuring talks given by Zenki Deloroshi at the Boulder Zen Center in Boulder, Colorado. I'm Brian Coley at the Boulder Zen Center. This will be the last podcast upload before the online winter practice course begins. We're going to take a two-month break for that, and if you're enjoying these talks from Zenki Roshi, I hope you're considering joining the course. You can check it out on our website, boulderzen.org. It's open to everyone. It's based on part one of Zenki's first book, which is yet to be published. It will come out next year. The first talk is going to be free. That's on January 30th, next Saturday morning. Zenki will be speaking about what Suzuki Roshi calls the inmost request. You're invited to join. Just make sure you're on our email list, and I'll send you a link. Zenki Roshi is actually going to speak a little bit more about the course at the beginning of this week's Dharma Talk, and here he is. Right, before we start, um, good to see everybody. And um, just as a little bit of housekeeping, this is going to be the last talk before I start what we've labeled uh, the winter practice course, which will start on January 30th. Um, I'll be giving eight talks on Saturdays um, between January 30th and March 24th. And it's going to be on transformative practice. That's the title of the course. Um, it's a little bit of a curriculum, and I'm experimenting with that. Um, you know, I've been thinking about curriculum. It's not exactly um, it's not exactly a Zen way of approaching the teaching, uh, because we are, you know, each of us is the curriculum. Every situation, every experience that you're going through is the curriculum of your practice. But on the other hand, I feel um, I'm at a point where I want to, you know, put certain things in order. And so anyway, this is an experiment. If you're if you're interested in, you can come to the first talk, which will be um, which will be free. It's um, going to be on January 30th and also check out the website. Um, my interest is to talk about transformation and what motivates us to be on a path of transformation what are the ingredients of transformation um, by ingredients i mean you know sensation attention intention cognition thought and how we mix these ingredients you know can we mix them in a way uh, that transforms our life and uh, the methods of the methods of that mixing in, in Zen and in Buddhism in general is meditation and mindfulness and uh, what I call bodyfulness. So anyway, that's going to start on the 30th. So we'll take a little break, both with these live talks and the podcast. And uh, alongside uh, my course, there will, Gary Harden and Gil and Matt will continue to give talks, but we'll switch that to Sunday. And um, I'll also give a talk on one of the, on a Friday, uh, which is part of the seminar that's coming up in February. Anyway, 
enough of the housekeeping. So the word that's on my mind these days is nourishment. And I'm thinking about nourishment sort of as uh, the other side of suffering. Now, if you've heard me speak before, um, I often lead with a notion that our practice is about the liberation from suffering. And I often say suffering is a big word. But actually, as a technical term in Buddhism, it includes everything that makes us be um, in a kind of stressful, dissatisfied, not fully at ease position, makes us be in a position of not fully, being fully at ease or dissatisfied in our lives. But not necessarily in a kind of global sense, like I'm stricken by suffering, but in a very moment-to-moment -moment way. There is this kind of situation, there is this experience, and I want it to be other than it is. So for a while I've been feeling out, how would I, how would I speak about this in a positive way? So th that's that's why I'm that's why I'm exploring the word nourishment, or when is our experience nourishing? Yeah, and the word is the word lends itself to this purpose because it's very tangible and experiential and um, I hope that it's also practicable because it's tangible and experiential. Because the word nourishment brings up what supports, yeah, what sustains, but also supports aliveness from moment to moment. So, you know, the sun is starting to hit my face here. I can't, I can't, there's no shade, so I can't do anything about it. But uh, let's take that as an example. Um, I'm feeling that right now. But imagine you're on a walk, maybe, and you are walking wherever you're walking, and then the sun hits your face. There's this moment that the sun hits your face, and you stop. You stop your walk, and you notice the warmth of the sun on your skin. And you receive it. You receive it, and as you are receiving it, it's spreading in your face. And it <clears throat> maybe it, it, 
He puts a smile on your face. And maybe as you are receiving the warmth of the sun on your face and it's putting a smile on your face, it goes further. It, it kind of sinks in and touches your heart. And your heart makes a little movement. It's opening. So we could say the sensation that you that you receive from the sun touching your face sequences through your face and into your chest and heart into the inner chamber of your heart and it's making this kind of movement Or take a different example. Um, so this is a this is a pleasant experience for most of us, I hope. Um, but you could take another example, where, and most people don't like to experience sadness or grief. But let's say you are you've lost something precious in your life and you are grieving it. And the grieve, the sensations of loss, mysteriously, you know, there are, there is such a thing, the sensations of loss, this tightness in your heart, this, this constriction in your throat, um, move you to tears. This is interesting, right, that we say that. It moves you to tears. The sensations move and they release a certain energy and that energy results in the, in the tears and if it's um, if it's deep grief the movement will take over your whole body and there be some kind of maybe even some kind of convulsion of the body now this is this is something we we easily resist. We don't want it. <laughs> or just, you know, imagine that there is a moment where you don't want that. Okay. So the the same the same thing, the sensation that you're noticing, the sensation that is associated with that loss sequences through the body and it results in these tears and in these convulsions of the body. Now, have you noticed how there is a way of crying that's nourishing and a way of crying that's not nourishing. This is a very simple observation, right? So, there is a way of crying that leaves you at ease, kind of purified, lightened, and there is a way of crying that leaves you exhausted and depleted and um, with a residual amount of distress. 
So the, the proposal I have is to say there's a common denominator in any experience that we call nourishing. And that common denominator is whether that experience is completing itself. So I'm saying uh, an experience is nourishing when it's completing itself. When the sun that is hitting my face is taken in and it sequences and completes itself in a smile or maybe even in an opening of my heart, it's completing itself. Or when the, the sadness um, that is in my body is given permission to move and breathe and um, sound the way it needs to to complete itself, then this experience of sadness is nourishing. Now, the reason that's uh, important, in my view, is that when we look at the other side of suffering, the quick answer is, you know, happiness. And I, I don't have a problem with the word happiness. That's fine, you know. But the way happiness is um, often understood in our culture and also by us individually is a kind of maximizing of pleasant experience. So I'm happy when I have a good experience. And... And so, even though we want to understand happiness as the other side of suffering, actually, when we understand happiness as a way of maximizing pleasant experience and avoiding unpleasant experience, we're actually, from a Buddhist point of view, we're perpetuating suffering because we're trying to get away from something and we're grasping at these pleasant experiences. So what I'm proposing is, how can we incorporate these unpleasant experiences that are necessarily going to be part of our life, hopefully not too much, you know, but now and then it must happen simply because we are a body. So how can we transform these pleasant these unpleasant experiences into something that is nonetheless nourishing and um, and part of this process of transforming it into something that's nourishing is to allow this sequencing that I've trying that I've been that I've tried to exemplify with these two examples You know, the kind of the main, the main mental posture of Zazen that I keep repeating 
is to allow your experiencing to be exactly what it is at this time. Okay, allowing your experiencing to be exactly what it is at this time means you are removing the resistance. And you're also removing the grasping for something else. You're allowing it to be exactly as it is at this time. But now, with this idea of nourishment, I'm adding, you're not just allowing this for this particular moment, this particular uh, slice of time, but you're allowing it as a movement in time, and I'm calling that sequencing. You're allowing whatever the experience is to sequence on its own. This is like, there's a way we need to get ourselves out of the way to do that. Now, when you think about emotional experience, I'm not just talking about emotional experience, but I've chosen this example. It's often embarrassing to allow your sensations to move and breathe and sound the way they want to, because it just seems like it's too much, you know, you're too, you're too uh, wild, too crazy, <laughs> too out of line, too, uh, immature. So there's a certain respect that we need to bring to our own body, respecting our own sensations and our own bodily constitution and what this bodily constitution wants to do with these sensations. And we need to do that sometimes in spite of what other people are expecting of us or in spite of the social scripts that have been uh, kind of imposed on us. Now, I'm not just criticizing that, you know, there is a way that we hold ourselves in society, but we all know that sometimes it feels very, um, very um, constricting to function within or not let's say not nourishing it feels not nourishing because we are not allowing the sensations of our body mind to complete themselves the way they want to and sometimes need to yeah now let me connect that with some some um, Zen teachings. <laughs> now we've been talking about now let me start this way. There is a spatial component to what I'm talking about. And there is a temporal, a time component to what I'm talking about. And the spatial component is related to 
what we've been talking about as the field of mind. When you place whatever experience is happening right now into the field of mind, that's actually a form of completing. So, you know, Dogen, uh, Dogen's most famous fascicle, the Genjo Koan, can be translated as the, the Genjo part means to complete what appears. I've been talking about appearance in as sensation. So the sensation of the sun that's hitting your face is what appears. How do you complete it? Well, I've, I've given an, a suggestion of how it completes itself. And um, the koan part, you've heard the word koan uh, before, but if you look at the etymology of the word koan, you, we can translate it as the particular within what is all-encompassing. So the Genjo Koan, sometimes that's uh, called the, the Koan of our lived life. The Koan of our lived life is to complete what appears as a particular within an, an all-encompassing field. You know, in Zen, we never try to realize happiness or satisfaction or now to use the word I'm choosing nourishment in a generalized way. These qualities of our life aren't aren't realized once and for all. Like, I'm, some, something's going to happen and then I'm going to be happy ever after. Or always satisfied. Instead, uh, these qualities, let me go back to the quality of nourishment, these qualities are realized moment after moment. And even that's wrong to say. They're, if they're realized, they're realized now. So at each moment, there is a gate. This is, you've heard this if you've, if you are familiar with Buddhist lang language, um, you've heard the talk of Dharma gates. A Dharma gate is this moment, this this moment is a gate either to a world of suffering in which you resist what is happening right now, or it's a gate to a world of nourishment where you're completing that which appears. And now I'm saying, 
one way to complete what appears is to place it, let me say it in this awkward way, to place it into this all-encompassing field. It's like imagine everything all at once, which is impossible to imagine, but you know, we know that this everything all at onceness is actually happening. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the great function. You know, this is a this is another way of talking about this. Everything all at once, everything that's happening right now is actually happening. But the way it manifests for me and for you right now is this very moment, this experience that, that we're having right now. Uh, Dogen says that the entire world is present in a speck of dust. And it's always, I don't know, it's always bothered me a little bit, this speck of dust. I could never get rid of the speck of dust in my mind, you know. It's like, there it is, the speck of dust. Um, the speck of dust is this Dharma gate. It's this experience right now. You know, my looking at the screen and seeing these rectangles is the speck of dust. And the entire world is present in this speck of dust, but not in a, you know, not in a, um, some sort of just intellectual way, but if you feel it, it's like everything is coming together and is giving form to your body, mind, experience right now. So uh, I'm talking about this as a kind of spatial completion, you know, to, to maintain this feeling, to maintain this feeling that what I am isn't this body with thoughts and worries and ideas in a container, but it's this presence that that's coming together from everything all at once and unfolding. Here it is, miraculously. So this is, you could say, this is the Genjo Koan, the completing that which appears as the particular in or from an all-encompassing field. You know, I'm suggesting that you honor your life this way. It's not an intellectual exercise. It's like, that's how you give a kind of um, unique value to your presence, and you give that, and you give that value and presence to what to whatever is happening. Whether that's the sadness that is 
welling up in you, or whether that's the sun that's hitting your face, it's, 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 it is what is coming from this field. Okay. So that's the, that's the spatial completion of that which appears. But then the sequencing that I've uh, pointed to is a time component. Now, let me introduce um, another example. Let's say you want to um, surprise your spouse or your child or a friend with a birthday cake. And you just have this idea. You just have this idea, I want to bake a cake. And you can, you know, I'm using this example, but you can take it as a template for any kind of action, any kind of intention that you have for an action. So, if you contemplate this idea, which really is an intention to bake a cake, you may go through a sequence, again, here it is again, a sequence of thoughts. You may ask yourself, you know, what kind of cake? Okay, um, lemon cake or chocolate cake. And um, what kind of ingredients do I need? Okay, I need these kinds of ingredients. And what of these ingredients are in the house? Well, it's uh, I have this in the house, but I need to go shopping. And uh, what else do I need to shop for? And um, when am I going to when when am I going to bake the cake? Because I want it to be a surprise. So I have to do it uh, when my husband or wife or kid are not around. So I'm going to do it on Thursday morning, and you know, like that. You are getting my drift. So I'm suggesting that our thinking, which is so villainized in Zen, you know, we have to get rid of it. No, that's not, that's just not, it's just not going to work. Right? You're not going to get rid of your thinking. So I'm saying right now, my thinking is nourishing when it sequences in a way that completes the idea. When it completes, unfolds in detail what it takes to um, um, bake this cake. And the same is true for this talk that I'm giving right now. So there is kind of like an animating idea 
behind the talk. And the talk is nourishing when the talk unfolds and completes that idea. Or when you are in conversation with somebody, you may have noticed when you want to convey yourself to this other person. Sometimes you have to say something two or three times to really get it out the right way until you feel that you've said what you wanted to say in a satisfying way. And until, you could say, until that which you wanted to say has completed itself. And when you don't have the time or attention span or your partner in conversation is impatient, it feels not nourishing to be in that conversation. You, you want to give yourself the time to really unfold what it is that you want to say. Now, maybe you've heard this before, or maybe not, but each unit of experience is called a dharma. So one dharma, dharma has many meanings, but one dharma is this unit of experience. And let's just say in a simple way, each dharma has um, each dharma has beginning, middle, and end. Okay. So each dharma, like noticing the sun on your face, or saying this phrase, or listening to this phrase and receiving the meaning. You know, that has beginning, middle, and end, and that's one dharma, it's one unit of experience. But I want to think about time as a fractal structure. So a fractal is a whole that's made out of parts, where the parts that make the whole have a similar shape to the whole. So a broccoli is a spatial example of fractal, right? Like each little part of the broccoli looks like the whole. But with time, it's like, it's similar. Each dharma has a beginning, middle, and end structure. But each dharma also contributes to a meta sequence that also has beginning, middle, and end. So it's embedded in that structure. And it contributes to an arc of completing. So when you um, when you take action and you bake that cake, you're gonna go through not a sequence of thoughts, but you're gonna go through a sequence of actions. You're going to mix the ingredients, make a batter, pour the batter into a form, put the form into the oven, wait, smell the delicious smell. Then you're going to pull out the cake, hide the cake, surprise your friend, etc. Now, 
If in the middle of this sequence the phone rings and you pick up the phone and then you get drawn into another sequence which is like talking to the person on the other end of the line, you get interrupted in the sequence of ba baking that cake. So maybe at some point you're, you don't smell the delicious smell, you smell the smoke. And then you rush and you interrupt the phone call and then you rush and pull out the pull out the cake. So you have a you have competing sequences. And one sequence interrupts the other sequence. And one sequence actually prevents the other sequence from completing itself. Something like that. So I think it's possible to multitask. I really think it's possible. But it's hard to make it nourishing. And the reason it's hard to make it nourishing is because you are prone to letting one sequence interrupt the other sequence. And so none of the sequences complete themselves. So when you begin this practice, you'll, you know, the recommendation when I entered the, the monastery was one, do one thing at a time. And I think the reason we start with the practice of doing one thing at a time is because it's easier to complete that one thing, to make that nourishing. But if you're more experienced, you can maybe make two sequences nourishing at the same time, or three, or four, or five, which of course are actually happening in our lives all the time. They're all interweaving. But as a practice, when you leave the zone of nourishment, you could come back and say, could come back to the practice of one thing at this time. This is how you can anchor yourself again in a feeling and experience of uh, nourishment. If you take this uh, idea of one thing at a time a step further, you end up with something that I think Dogen is trying to point to in the Genjo Koan. And there's this famous section in the Genjo Koan where Dogen talks about firewood and ash. And, and he says, Firewood turns into ash. You know, that's a sequence. Firewood turns into ash. And ash does not turn into firewood. And then he continues and he says, but do not, do not suppose, do not think. that ash is after and firewood is before. 
firewood abides, firewood fully abides in the condition of firewood. Including, it fully abides in the condition of firewood, including before and after, while being independent of before and after. This is a, this is a little complicated to follow. Firewood, firewood abides in the condition of firewood, inclu completely including before and after, you know, it includes its past as a tree. It, and it, in, it includes its future as ash or as a wood stack or whatever future it includes. But it's also independent of that. It, it just is what it is. And so, and so it is with ash. Ash completely abides in the condition of ash. So this is a this is a seemingly paradoxical structure of time where the moment of firewood or the moment of ash both is independent of the sequence that it is placed into and at the same time it contributes to the completion of that sequence So, if you go back to your cake baking, when all the steps that are leading up to surprising my wife with the birthday cake are just a means to that end, they are, you know, they're devalued or something. I just go through them in order to get to that real thing that matters, which is the surprise at the end. But if you, if you, if you want to make Dogen's advice practical, it's like your, your completion is simultaneously everything is just what it is. I'm just mixing the ingredients right now. You know, whether this turns into a cake or not. I'm just mixing these ingredients, placing them in a all-encompassing field that is nourishing by itself. Just this, this full presence of my aliveness right now. And, so that, and, I'm allowing what I'm doing right now to sequence itself into the next moment. So, th so th this is how this spatial component where it feels like we're stopping time firewood is just abiding in the condition of firewood we're stopping time completely letting ourselves be 
uh, drawn into what is present. Like going back to that example of the walk where the sun hits your face, you know, you're maybe you're you're actually physically stopping to receive that warmth of the sun stopped this moment stopped complete in itself and allowing whatever appears to sequence to give it permission you know now take that zazen instruction of allowing your experience to be exactly what it is into that into the new instruction let's say new instruction of allowing your experience to move and breathe and change and develop any way it wants thank you very much